Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. My name's Javen. I'm an international online health and fitness coach. And if you want to increase your confidence, improve your self-development and have a bulletproof mindset, this is the podcast for you. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe depending on whatever podcast app you are using. Today's episode is going to be amazing. I can't wait to get into it. Let's go. Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. Today, guys, I've got a very special guest. If you're on Instagram, I know you've seen his 5 a.m. workouts. They're scaring me because I know I ain't getting up at 5 a.m. Mr. Superdad himself, Damien Scannell. Man, thank you for joining me, man. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much. I was there. Uh, I'm literally done one of them workouts this morning, bro. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm high on energy, man, and uh, thank you very much for having me, bro. No, thank you, man. Yeah, obviously, I've been seeing your content for a long time. I was well aware of you, even when you first when you opened the Simply Fit gym. That's when I first kind of come across you. But I actually knew your brother, so bit of a background story. Your brother's a few years older than me, but when I was a youngster at Palace, he used to come down like when he was just breaking into the first team. Used to come down to the dome, you know, National Sports Center. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Used to come yeah. down to the dome and and just like train with the kids. So you train with us. Oh wow. So, yeah. So yeah, I've actually known your brother for a long time. And then one of my best friends, um, Tariq Holmes Dennis, they were teammates at Huddersfield. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. Was he yeah. from Wolves? Did he go? No, what club was he at? Tariq before? was at Charlton. Charlton, so yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, man. So yeah. So thank you for joining me. Obviously, I just want to get straight into it, man. So. Obviously, you play sports yourself, you play football, you've got quite a long history in, in football. I was doing my research on you. Obviously, I always got to research on my guests before I, before I uh, invite them on. And uh, yeah, I just kind of want to know, like, talk to me a little bit about your childhood in, re- in relation to football and, and how you kind of got started and got into it. Okay. So, Jay, you know what? I obviously play my brother. He, he has higher pedigree. So he came through the system from eight years old. I think he was at... Um, he went from Arsenal to Palace, so that was his route. That was that was completely different to mine. So I went through that grassroots. I was playing for like my local team, which was at Addison Corinthians. Then I then there was actually quite a large part where I didn't play football. Like I mingled with other kind of like stuff, more anti-social stuff, you know, getting in a bit of trouble. And then um, what happened is I am um, at the age of 18. I think it was 2018. Actually, there was a court case. I actually had a court case, right? And I was playing for a local team called Downham Tavern. And um, we played a pre-season game, right? And um, during that pre-season game, we played against a team called Maidstone. And there was a few people watching. I scored two goals. And some guy came up to me and said, oh, do you want to play? And I was like, man, I got a court case. I don't think it's looking too well. And that guy, his name's Sammy Mudd. He actually helped me. He wrote like a ref- character reference and stuff. And he helped me like financially in certain aspects. He helped me quite a lot, really. He got me a flat and stuff. And that was like the start of my football career. Like he was like, at the point I used to call him my footballing dad, you know? So um, from there, I um, went into non-league and stuff, Jay. Okay. So you didn't go the academy route. You didn't go through that. No, no, no. I didn't really, if I'm being honest, my dad, yeah, he, he didn't really introduce us to football. So I didn't really have like, other than seeing top end footballers sometimes on the weekends, you know, like in, involved in games. I didn't really know the like pyramid of football. So I thought it was like that was football and everything below it was just like grassroots. Obviously there was a bit in between yeah, but I didn't know like to the capacity of like how big professional football was and how desired and 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 how much people wanted to play it. It was only when I got into that kind of like 
like non-knee kind of like arena where I realized, whoa, you can make money here, you can do this here. And although it wasn't entirely money, it obviously eases some kind of like financial anxiety when you know that you can collect an income from doing something you love. Yeah, yeah. So like in terms of as a kid, like what made you want to play in the first place? I just think I'm hyper competitive, man. I'm hyper competitive. So like, you know, I look back and people, you know, people say they love football. I definitely don't love football to the degree that like some people are obsessive, like they watch DL and they then like, but me, like, if I play basketball, man, I I go to war with you. Like, <laughs> you know, like, so I think I'm like very tenacious, I'm very competitive, and I, and I'm very like full on. And I think getting into football and where all the boys are into football, I'm like, you're not better than me. And even though they may have been, they may have loved it more than me because, you know, then people that used to get the Premier League books and <laughs> yeah, I wasn't that kind of in it, but I'm just super competitive, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So then when you was growing up as well, was it, obviously I know you said that there were some antisocial times in your life as well, but school-wise, was he very academic? Not so much? No, no. no. I'm, like, I'm actually sitting in, this is the irony of it, I've got my um, old head of year around for lunch now, right? <laughs> so he's listening to this. We, um, in school, uh, I would say at points, man, in certain areas, I, I, I probably would be considered, like, a decent pupil, right? I was in, sometimes I was in, <laughs> he's laughing, I was, um, I was in the higher sets and stuff, but my behaviour didn't reflect that, man. I was, a, okay. I, I would probably what you could deem as a nuisance student. <laughs> and um, I was regularly in trouble getting suspended and stuff like that. And he was actually probably a big part of why I actually even stayed in school. Okay, wow. Well, big him up, man. Big him up. Peter, Peter, amazing man. Big up Peter. So, <laughs> yeah. so with that then, obviously, I feel like nowadays, and when I was younger, obviously I'm a few, I'm a, few, a bit younger than you, but when, when I was growing up, sometimes I feel like, playing football for a lot of kids, and I'll say I'll be straight, a lot of black kids, sort of see it as like a way out, right? Like, this is like a way to escape our environment sometimes. Was that, so would you say that wasn't really the case for you? Because you said you never really loved football to that depth, so, or not really. Yeah, I definitely, at a young age, I definitely didn't see it as a, is the lighting gone off? No, it's, it's fine, it's cool. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's um, when I was younger, I, didn't, I definitely didn't see it was like a way out in terms of financially. Like, I saw it more as a, like a popularity thing to begin with. Mm. You know, like, I, I saw it more as like if he was good at football, he was popular. I saw, yeah. I definitely saw that. But I never knew that it was earning potential, anything covered in like the, the superstars. Yeah. And like, I didn't, really, I didn't really necessarily aspire to be a superstar footballer while I was in school. Yeah. I, I liked being the best at football, but I didn't know, because like, my, my dad didn't turn around and say to me like, Look, this is what Premier League footballers do. Like, like he, he's an old school Irish guy, man. He, yeah. he, he was more he, like he, he more wanted to introduce me to like mannerisms and stuff like that. Like, yeah, football, like he didn't have a clue, man. Yeah, yeah. And also, you got brothers, right? Are you are you, are you the oldest? So I've got a middle brother. My older brother, my older brother was very similar to me in regards to like he didn't really have an insight to football. But my younger brother, by the time I started to develop and he saw what I was doing and saw how that I was playing the game and I was good at it he obviously picked it up and the exposure that he got to it and saw it and he got picked up early. He went into Arsenal. You see in a whole different life. Yeah. You know, I, I never saw that. I've never, I've never saw the back end of football until I was like, even non-league, you don't really see it properly until I actually became, went on trial at clubs. That's when I saw, wow. Yeah. This is yeah. like at these clubs, you know? Yeah. And I saw that. So you ended up signing a professional contract at, at some point in your career. So kind of talk to me about that, that experience. Jay, that, that was crazy, man, to be honest, because literally from the, when I went and signed for these non-league clubs, I was still very half-hearted. And to be honest, I was still like partaking in like crime to some degree. So like, like 
I was doing like these ASBO kind of things, man. These things that wasn't really making me money. I wasn't like you no know, Al Capone, but I was doing stupid things. Right. So I was earning money from there, and then I was playing football as well. So when I there was a purple patch where I was fantastic, man. I think like we probably all had it as footballers where everything I touched turned to gold, right? And um, I kind of it kind of brought me into this self belief thing that whoa, whoa, man. I don't think many people are better than me, you know. That with the feedback and uh, a few agents got in contact with me. The next thing I realised, I was getting contact from Nottingham Forest, Swansea and stuff like that. It all came to a head. Southend came for me, made an official bid at Eastleigh. I agreed terms and I went up there. So it wasn't like this strategized <laughs> plan, you know, right. like of like, oh, everything got pieced together. It was like more of like, I kind of bought into myself a little bit more, I was a little bit more confident and the people around me happened to be able to connect the dots at that time and I ended up in the league, bro. So. Mm. And then, so what was that transition like? Going from non-league, I'm sure the money changed, the lifestyle changed, and yeah. was it was you did you did was it a transition of also going from part time to full time? Like what? Yeah. How did that all I, work? I didn't handle it well, if I'm being honest, because at the time I thought I handled it well, right? So I sh- the transition across, yes, you earn more money, your status is rises, right? So you become more popular. So at at the time, I became like the best friend to have, you know, like I became like the footballer with more finances and, and more access to when really I should have knuckled down. I wasn't earning enough. I think at my peak in, in the league, I was making £1,500 a week, right? So, look, man, at, at the time, you couldn't have told me no different. Like, that was like hundred grand, you know? Yeah. But in, 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 in hindsight, you're never going to retire on that. And um, what, what happened is, man, and my behaviour, so I carried the non-league mentality into the league because in, in non-league you can get away with certain behaviours that just can't stand. The quality's better, the mentality's better, so I needed to up my game. If, if you told me, there was, again, I had a purple patch in the league and stuff like that, if you told me that I think that I could have handled my own there, yes, but did I? Definitely not. I just I just crumbled under the pressure, man, like I would attend, still be doing the nights out thing. Come, I was in South London at the time, I was coming back to South London. People I was hanging around weren't football-orientated people because you, you have to start living and breathing it, you know? Some of these people have played football from eight years old all the way to their 30s, middle of their 30s, and you can't just come in and and partake. You have to be full-on, right? So when you got to that stage, though, like, when you got, got there, you got into league football, you got the professional contract, in some ways you're living a lot of people's dreams or you lived a lot of people's dreams. Would you say, did you have, like, the ambition and the mindset to feel like you wanted to to kick on, like you wanted to go up championship, prem, was that in your mind or was it just well, like? I thought it was given. I thought it was given. To be honest, I thought you was owed it. I thought you go in, you play well again, and, and you end up there. And I, I didn't realize that everything has to be up. Yeah. Mentality, the work ethic. I wasn't ready for it. So you know when you talk about the dream, yeah. Sometimes as as young people, as young players, you set about this dream when you're like 16, 17 year old, right? Or this goal, right? And you don't actually have. Like um, the mentality, like it's just a it's just a goal. So like yeah. along the way, man, you need to develop it. And you need to understand it. And I, I don't think I was I think I was quite immature in that sense. So so when I hit that point where I probably needed to like double down in certain aspects, right? I was still quite immature, and I thought I'll just have another purple patch, or right. I'm still good, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, you get I'm surrounding myself with a lot of people that pat me on the back. So. It's, it's, it's just a false environment and then you don't really realise until you're coming all the way back down, right? Right. So, yeah, talk to me about that then, like not getting another contract or getting released or whatever that situation was. Like, how did it feel to... What was that process? So, so Jay, even that, I avoided it. So, when I was at Southend, they got relegated and I got offered an opportunity to renew my contract there or go to Dagenham and Redbridge on less money. But Dagenham and Redbridge was League One. 
And I kind of like wanted to remain with the status rather than probably doing what was probably best for my career. Because at the time, Dagenham Redbridge were renowned for playing long ball. Southend were like a, pro- not a proper football club, but a football club that played in a particular way and which more suited me. But with my with the popularity, the status, I wanted to stay as high as possible, one level below the championship. My brother was in the championship at the time. <laughs> so I've signed for Dagenham. That would probably say, if signing for Southend was the, the, the way up, <laughs> Dagenham was definitely on the way down. <laughs> even though, even though they was in League One. It just all went peeped on. The whole behaviour inside the club was very non-league-ish. They were, they're an old school club. They come from non-league. So they would they was like they were like a old machine, you know, like an old machine, yeah. And I came in and I didn't fit in. And I, I hadn't compounded that that like mental strength. So I was like kind of like fragile. I didn't really want to work. And then I didn't want to go alone. I wasn't really someone that would would want to go outside of London. That obviously South End, but you know, that's 45 minutes down the road. Yeah. I didn't want to go on loan to like Plymouth or something like that. Yeah. And it was a disaster. And um, from there, I went to Eastleigh and it was just like a rocky road down. I was like a mercenary, you know, like someone that if a manager phoned me and said, Oh, do you want an extra 150 quid? I'd be like, oh, Cool. Yeah, you're gone. Yeah. And then, and then I'd be trying to make around <laughs> like a Del Boy. And at the time, I'm 26, 20, no, I'm sorry, 27, 28. And like, I'm just negotiating my downfall. It's not really like, trying to better myself. And then I'm thinking about, oh, if I get 600 quid and I work and I get 600 quid and then that's 1,200 quid a week, right, you know? Right, Jay, I'm not really thinking, like, forward. You yeah, know, I'm just thinking yeah. of now, trying to nick yeah. a living. Yeah, and obviously, you know, you're always posting your, your beautiful children and stuff. Was you, Did you have a family at that stage or not, not yet? That was, like, another turning point. So if coming out of the league was, like, a realisation. So I had my child when I was 28, right? And at that particular time, I was at Bromley. And life wasn't good for me, man. So from the outside perspective, I was earning half decent money. There was no real money in the bank account. There was um, no real substance. I was delivering parcels. Every day was monotonous. It was like Groundhog Day. So for me, when I had my first child, it was like a little bit of a realisation. And it was around the same time that my dad died. You know, and, and... as much as I'd like to believe that there was future in me for football, I think that was really a point where I thought, whoa, like, you know, like, what, what else is left in the game for you? Like, you know, like financially, especially. So um, I started to like, I think that's about the time I got qualified as a personal trainer as well. Okay, okay. So when, when did you like say, when did you actually call it a day, football-wise? Well, that being said, I did stay. I just, I just kind of viewed football as not a primary source of like, even though it was my main source of income, I knew that it wasn't going to be primary source of income for long. Um, at 30, 30 years old, 30 years old, I got an injury in pre-season playing for Tunbridge at the time, which was unfortunate. I was still earning £350 a week, which is considering you're only training twice a week and playing. It was all right, it's considerable. Yeah, exactly. And I've just signed a new deal. I got a dead leg. And then I went on to find out it was um, that dead leg had developed bone tissue or bone fragments in uh, it. like ossification. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's like a rare thing. It's where I did experience a lot of trauma in that area. And uh, they said to me, look, man, the road to recovery could be 18 months with an operation. Yeah, like, it, and, and at that level, earning that much, man, and the fact that I just started doing Simply Fitness, I was like, no, 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 no. It was, I cried, man, I cried. And um, imagine this, so I had nine months left on my deal. Tombridge said to me, look, we can give you 1,700 quid. So I was given 1,700 quid like brown uh, envelope to, to retire from a game yeah. that I'd given my last 10, 12 years to. So that was another yeah. realisation. Yeah, wow. So like me- mentally then, also you said you cried. Like, how, could you describe where you was at, at that stage? Like, I was distraught. I just thought I, 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 I deserved more from it. You know, I felt like I'd given so much. I thought that coming to the end, like 
probably like we all do, man. Probably how we feel like when we're going to die, I thought we was going to go out of a bang, you know? I thought like <laughs> you get a big check or something like that. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely happened. It was just distraught. And you know what? If I'm being honest, when I reflect on it, a lot of them tears were fear because right. there, there wasn't much like, man, I was thinking £350 minus, whoa, that's £1,400 a month. And, you know, like, ooh, where does that come? I've just opened Simply Fitness, so I can't. And then, oh, man, I was doing Korean at the time, but part-time because I needed my business. And I was like... And then I can't really show this to my missus because what the heck if she gets an insight to how bad things are? I got a little man on the way. I got friends that, that know me as Damien that plays football. Like, there's there's so many things, and I was just like, and I think that was the main reason why the, the, the I cried, bro. So. Yeah, yeah, no, that that makes sense, man, and that's real. Like, yeah, I always talk to I always talk to people about like I, I got let go from professional football really young, so I, I did my scholar. I didn't even get offered a pro, and I remember. I was sat in front of my house and it was a hot day and I had knee surgery. So I was going on all these trials. And when I had the knee surgery, the surgeon told me I got about eight weeks. I had a trial with the Oval first team in, in six weeks. I'm like, well, I gotta go. I, I need, okay, I need yeah, to get yeah, yeah. I need to get a contract. Yeah. So I went, but my knee was like a balloon. I remember I come back and I'm just sitting in front of my steps. And my mum's looking at me, innit? She's looking at me through the window upstairs, innit? And I just literally, I'm sitting on the steps, just crying my eyes out, innit? So, yeah. like, it's, it's mad because I don't think sometimes when people don't play football or they don't play sports, they don't really realise, like, the mental kind of... It's like, it's yeah. almost, it's almost traumatic. Dream. You yeah, dream. Yeah. So your dream isn't just to play football, it's the dream of a life while yeah. playing football. So yeah. when, it, when it's ripped from you, man, it, it, it's, like, it's like, whoa, it didn't turn out the way... I thought yeah. it's a fairy tale, you know? But yeah. and, and, and also, you've got it's all the pressures that you've created by telling, like, speaking it into existence. So now your, your mum's like, oh, so he's not going to be a footballer. And your yeah. friends are like, it's Jay not, Jay's not the footballer no more. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. You, you know, you know. I think it's kind of the best thing to happen to me because now, not to say I'm more resilient, well, I am more resilient, but it's more understanding of, like, it's all just part of the journey. It's progress, you know? It's progress, like, it, and it's, it's not necessarily what happens. It's how you respond, Jay. Yeah, so. yeah. No, it's true. So then, with that being, with all that being said then, and, you know, getting to that stage in your journey, you know, 30 years old, you've got, you've got your kids on the way, and, you know, now you've kind of stopped playing football due to the injury. You, you said you got qualified at 28? 28, 29, I think, Jay. Okay, so what, what what drew you to deciding to go down the fitness route? Like, was that something you always loved? Like, yeah, what, what pulled you in that direction? So, if I'm being honest, I haven't always loved fitness yet, but I like helping people, right? And I like empowering people. And when I saw, when I always saw PT in you, I always kind of viewed it as that, like, in a weird way. Like, you know, like empowering people. And I, I've always kind of viewed myself as a pretty, like ambitious kind of guy like you know so i think it was kind of thing if if at no point did i think i was going to go full on with it if i'm being honest i thought it was going to be like man if i have a couple people i do a week and it's, and it's 50 pound an hour everyone talks about 56 pound an hour yeah yeah, yeah that man i can make a 300 quid a week from doing that and they I make it sound like easy it. they make it sound yeah. like it's easy, <laughs> easy. Yeah, is it? listen if anybody's thinking of being a pt while watching this man don't buy into that model yeah, don't buy into that yeah. it's a myth it's a myth yeah so um that, that being said, yeah, I, I went on that journey, qualified as a PT. My partner, so me and my partner went on the same course at the same time. And we both had this kind of like idea of setting up a small studio where we would do things part time, you know, in the evening or small group classes or whatever. But yeah, that, that kind of evolved. You know why? Because it's that self-belief thing again. You know, when you, you do something and there's interest and it, at the time, social media, I put something up and it gave, got me a couple of likes and I started getting really happy with it, you know, and stuff like that. So that, that kind of compounded. and um, 
we set, we set up this gym. It wasn't called Simply Fitness to begin with. It was called Trinity TDS. Okay. Trinity, Trinity TDS, yeah. And um, we, we um, I'll never forget it, Jay, man. We, uh, we, had, we got flyers printed. <laughs> yeah, probably like the worst marketing to ever. We got flyers printed. We didn't, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't have the money to get some of the samples out. I handed out the flyers. The, the, the very said teacher that I spoke about before, he helped me hand out the flyers. I was quarrying in the morning, and I remember I got the first phone call from the first client. Her name was Mavinda Law. I don't know. If, I don't know if you can legally actually say her name on this year, but her name was Mavinda Law. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll cut that one out. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. And um, listen to this, Jay. She. I didn't even know my prices, so she's phoned up here. Yeah, she's gone. Um, because I didn't. I, I don't know, man. I think I would believe in myself. I didn't believe in the business. She's phoned up and she's gone. Ah, oh, I want to book ten sessions. I see you're a local studio, and she's like, "How much is it?" And I, I like all I can say was like. First session free. <laughs> so, like, obviously, that gave me the time to come. But yeah, that, that, that was how the journey started. So, looking back, people would like to say, like, oh man, we, we had a business, no business plan, no business plan. I had the money that I retired with, I had the income that I was making from Corin, which was part time. That was it, that was it, that was it. And then probably the excess change that I had in my account that would get me from up to. That was it, and there was no business plan. It was just, all right, I'm going to do some one-to-ones and some, I'm going to get some flyers and the healthy momentum helped me from there. Yeah, yeah. So so you was doing classes and one-to-one PT at that time, yeah? That was the idea. Okay. <laughs> the idea of doing classes and executing is two separate things. So when, when I did start doing classes, I wasn't getting paid much. It was mostly friends. It was mostly friends, and the people that they brought, I would charge. Okay, all right? um, okay. Yeah, this this is probably why it's like the resilience built up, you know, because I was doing a lot of things for free. I was and and, and the general joy that I got from helping people was actually a, a reward enough. Right. Obviously, I needed to pay my bills, you know, and yeah. I was still managing to correlate at the same time. Yeah. So um, the small classes actually developed because of my particular type of like mentality. So you know, I'd combining that. Like, you probably do the same thing, sports. And kind of like gym, you know, like where like sports has this kind of great kind of camaraderie potential, like uh, uh, approach to, to, to training. So a lot of people who don't do sports don't realize that that it's very competitive, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, like that. So I introduced that into my kind of in, into the kind of like niche approach, and people bought into it, Jay. To be honest, and uh, people people liked it. People liked the personality that I brought with with it, yeah. and it kind of compounded, man. And, and it was uh, it was a, that was the start of the journey. Yeah. Okay. So. So with that then, how long were you running running the gym before? Do you still operate the gym now? No, so we, we don't operate the gym before. We, we ran that gym for five years. Jay. Five years, Five yeah. years. Five was, years. We, was, was, that, was that up till the pandemic? Up until the pandemic, but we was already transitioning to go online. Oh, so okay. when, 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 we, was, when we, we got to the point, so at no point for the first two years was the gym earning enough to completely entirely cover bills and stuff. Right. So we were doing sessions for like £3J. You know, like our whole business model was behind low cost and high numbers. Right. Get as many people in as we could. And, and, and again, like any PTs or watching this probably think that that's a good model, yeah. Well, it's not a, there's not actually a good or bad model. It's just your own personal preference, yeah. But the, the particular areas in and what we attracted didn't really get, but the biggest thing was we never wasn't getting results. We were getting people turning up, but it was thinking, oh, I was only three quid and stuff like that. You, you probably experienced it as well, you know, Jay. So um, we done that for about two or three years. Then my partner set up a, 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 a women's group, a women's only group, uh, which which done fantastic, was, which was a little bit more costly. And I started doing something called Spartan Sessions. 
And from that day, like that was like the that was probably like the turning point for our business because we we created structure. People bought into the style of training that I was doing. Kind of like was compressed into like into like a, a belief system. So people thought, come to the Spartan session, and and this is what happens. I become a Spartan, you know. Like right, and then my partner right. was turning women into to fit women because she's called it simply women. So that was probably the turning point, or one right. of the turning points to get right. where we are now. So would you say that? there was an element of where you, you niche down to more target and you got more back from it. Oh, man, that, that was... A, you know, I didn't know I was doing it at the time, but that, that, that happened. But another turning point was that I started training a guy named Wayne Danai. We'll probably talk about him more, yeah? He then taught me the importance of doing that. Even though I'd done that, not, not, not knowing what I was doing, he then taught me about how to niche further down, that you want right. to repel as many people as possible. Right, So, right. yeah, that, that was... That, what you just said there was key. The fact yeah. that I then started to gain the confidence to say, no, I don't want other people. I just want a particular niche. Yeah. So one, but before we kind of get into what you're doing now, I've got one question because I always, I come across this a lot, especially with young footballers who don't make it, right? So when you kind of stepped away from football, obviously it's a little bit different because you, you was doing non-league and you was working part-time anyway. But when you was no longer having football as an income and you had to just work, like you just work now, like, how did you find that transition? Because I'll give you a bit of an insight from my perspective. A big, I went to the States after I didn't get a scholarship, right? I went like a year later. And a big part of why I went is because, I guess there's a little bit of fear, but like, I didn't want to work. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, I did, I, I, I did not envision myself working. So I was like, let me go to the States. I get to play full-time football again for another four years in another country, and I get a degree. So I just, I was like, I'm good. So how was that kind of in your mind? Like, did you see yourself? Like, could you, did you, yeah. How did you feel not being able to make money from football? And it was just, okay, I've actually got to work now. Yeah, fortunately for me, as I said, I think you made a good point there. The route that I came and the career I had allowed me to be very real with the fact that, like, my financial space never got to the point where I thought, oh, this might be retirement kind of. I never had a bank balance like that, but I definitely see that amongst my friends that I've met in the game that have come through, that have come from right from the young ages, man. They very, they very much struggle with that transition. But for me, probably reflecting on like what I do now, yeah, like I kind of like enjoy that kind of hustle. I kind of enjoy that hustle. I kind of enjoy the hustle. I enjoy I, when I view something as competition. It makes it good for me. You know, do you get what I'm saying? So like even like business, PT, and stuff like that. Like not not to say I, I like source competition. I'm like. I want to get him or something like that. Yeah, but it excites me the fact that I can improve myself and stuff like that. So when I when I have work around something that's passionate and I've and I've tapped into, you but it's not too bad yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. but I definitely I definitely see what you're saying. Though. See the players that come through the system and do the YTS. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever show them a shop floor, <laughs> yeah, it's like that, that's like my worst nightmare. So <laughs> yeah, that, and that's a big driver to kind of why why I decided to start coaching as well because I just I could I. Yeah, I couldn't work for people. It was just it was hard. Cool. So talk to me a bit about... So there was a period where you was going by Dr. Damo. Do you still go by Dr. Damo too? Because that's that's how I first came <laughs> Or the gym and Dr. Damo. You, you, you know what, um, Jay? I, Dr. Damo was a handle I was given by Insta. So okay. I, I didn't... I didn't. I, you know, I've been criticised for that. I mean, actually, on social media, people are like, you're not even a doctor and stuff like right. that. But what actually happened is I typed in my name like Damo or something like that. Damo, oh, and it was took so that they gave me suggestions and it was like, Dr. Damo. It wasn't like I thought in my head, man, I'm a doctor. I think I actually had that before, that handle. I think I had that before I was actually like personal training. Do you get right. what I'm saying? So, okay. so yeah. 
But but I, I ran with it and it kind of was fitting to what I was doing. Yeah. So, but the transition came when I actually decided to niche right down and um and just work with dads. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that then. So when did that transition happen? And I guess why was that the target market you decided to go for? So I used to train my my my, my demographic that I was aimed at before. I used to work with a lot of sports people, and footballers and stuff. But as as rewarding as it was, it was like they're quite hard to work with. I'm not sure if you've worked with any athletes, man. Like this, they're, they're so driven and they're so like they've got their particular mentality and they so self-absorbed, man. Like it's kind of difficult, and I found it quite difficult to communicate with them and stuff. And um, I wasn't getting paid enough to give them that much attention, you know. So. The, the coach that I worked with said, man, look, man, I, I think you're perfect for dads. I think, especially in this current era of like, this whole like feminization of men and stuff like that. He was like, listen, man, I, I think it's really important that you kind of show them that, like, look, man, let's own our health. Like, and let's own our mentality. Let's not be afraid to, to throw ourselves about still and stuff like that. And man, I, I loved it. I loved it from my very first like kind of step and helping dads and listening to them talking how I'm improving their life for their children. Man, now, now I couldn't, I, like, I couldn't see myself doing anything else, man, because I see how empowering it is, you know, Jay. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So then, was was the pandemic like a big driving force for you? Because, like, I'll tell you a little bit. I, I used to coach in in Liverpool Street in at F forty five. That was kind of where I was coaching, and then obviously the pandemic came. I went from teaching like fourteen classes, getting paid X amount for each class, to literally one class on a Saturday. So my, obviously <laughs> my money just went from that to that. Yeah. And I just thought, nah, I can't I can't rely on anybody else anymore. It's time to do my own thing. So yeah, yeah how did the pandemic affect you in terms of in terms of that? Great question. So you see literally the pandemic was because we we had our own studio, right? So what happened is I literally went in one day and like my coach messaged me and he was like, listen, you're gonna it's it's done now. It's done. And I was like, what? It's not done. You know, and he was like Trust me, he said, with what's happening in with everything, just get your head around being online. And uh, I didn't really take that in. And then obviously, by the end of the day, my clients were messaging me saying, are you going to stay open and that? And that, mate, I was just like, what's happening here? And um, from that day, I never, I, I didn't go back. I just didn't go back. Like it, We closed before the official dates and I shifted my mind. I said, look, I'm going to be online. And my coach kept telling me like, you need to go online. The kind of personality you are, your character, what you offer, you need to go online. It's more inclusive. You get better results and stuff. And then um, <laughs> me and my missus just sat thinking, bro, the money, what's happening when we had the online clients and they're not, our core income was still coming from a particular, I was like, what happened? And then to be honest, Jay, I know a lot of people are like, hearing this is the best thing that ever happened to me, bro. I've, I've still got my studio. It's, it's taught me the importance of like knowing who you are and what you can offer and what services for you. And I, and I still think that some people should PT because that's what they're good at. But I know that this is the right thing for me. And um, other than, I like yourself, other than training my coach and a, and a friend, I'll never go back to PT anymore. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So so then in terms of what you see now, right? So, you know, you help dads, you get them in amazing shape, you, you change their mindset and their physical. Like, what, what would you say are some of the common issues you come across when it comes to fathers and, and their health and their fitness, man? Yeah, we it's a massive we need a massive like i don't even know if this is an official word like unlearning like of like how we like especially like the ages have happened like we we, we we've got to the point where 
we have a lot more access to information and, and the ability to educate ourselves, man. We have to step away from what our parents told us, which was, and they told us life was meant to be this particular way. This is what you're meant to do. And I think we need to step away from it. I think we need to own our success. We're very privileged. We lived it, a lot of my clients live in the UK and, and they think that the best thing for them is to get a job, pay their mortgage and retire, right? But I think that's very much an old school approach, and I think we can we can we can expand on that. We can look after ourselves. We can be better examples for our children. I think we can stop accepting the middle aged bread at thirty five. I think there's I think there's a lot of things, and I think and I think a lot of it comes from like what we've been told is the way that we're meant to be, the the, edu- the, the education that we've had, and self awareness. You know, Jay. I think I think with the big thing, a lot of men I speak to, they deem themselves as successful because they've have a particular income, right? And I, I think that's a very low bench, benchmark. I think success needs to, again, be expanded out, man. What, what health, man, can a lot of men in their 40s not being able to touch their toes or do their laces, you know, or not being able to play in the park with their kids, right? You know, and, and but they, they deem themselves successful because they, they have an income and they can get boozed up on the weekend, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then those are some of the things that some of the guys you get on calls with, that's what they come to you with, right? Like not being able to... They can't keep up with their kids anymore or things like that. Yeah, and it's beyond that, Jay. I think I think if we just if we just look at look at society in itself, look, look at statistics, like it's, it's just it's just evident. If we've just come through a pandemic, man, what about obesity? What about diabetes? What about high blood pressure? What about these things, man? They, they need to be just look at look at what is exhausting our NHS, right? I don't know, man. I, I don't as I said that I'm not just a statistic guy, but you just you tell me what you see. So when with the people that I come to very much have these problems yet, but I also see these problems in society, you know? Mm. So So they're, they're yeah. just a reflection of of what's happening around them. Yeah, you tell me, but I, I get I, for me, I don't think I can personally solve the crisis yet, but I think it's like the whole like re-educating people on maybe what we deem success as from an early age, you know? Maybe mm. I, I often say to people, like, p- people will be so adamant that their child goes to a good school, that their child receives tutoring, education, yeah, but what about the nutrition their child eats? It's like, it's like listen, man, nutrition, sleep and stuff are going to affect your child's quality of life as much as the money they earn, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. that's not, to, that's not to, to neglect that particular academic area. It's just, it's just a fact. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know what? It's it's crazy. You even talk about the nutrition side of it. I was actually on a call the other day. I was trying to make a sell with somebody, and and they were saying they were saying why they couldn't sign up to the program. Oh, it's too expensive. To do that. And I was like, okay, cool, no problem. But you t- you just told me that you order Uber Eats three times a week. What if I told you we could save you money, which will pay for the program in itself if you order Uber Eats maybe once a week instead. And she just started going off at me. She was like, yeah, but my kids. So I was like to her, well, what if your kids start eating healthy? What kind of example are you saying? And she, yeah, it was just, it was a, it was an interesting conversation. But that's self-awareness, right, isn't it? That's self-awareness. That's right. At the base of it is self-awareness. But I think it's, it's deep-rooted. It's deep-rooted, especially amongst a certain class, right? That, like, we, like, for me, for me, I remember growing up, man, I remember, like, I couldn't wait to get to the point to have money to have takeaways, you know, like, that kind of stuff, yeah? And, like, some people, fortunately, with what I was exposed to, I've, not to, not to demonise takeaways because you can eat the right thing on it, but um, your takeaway finances shouldn't get in the way of your health, mm. right? And, and that's why I think it's an education thing, and I think it's got to stop, and it's like, it's got, like, we've got to press the reset button and we've got to be like, okay, cool, it's fantastic that we're earning this amount, X, Y amount, but... 
What are you reinvesting in yourself? What example are, are you setting amongst your house? And these are uncomfortable questions, you know? You have a great job. You dress well. You've got designer clothes, right? But you are overweight. You smoke. You drink heavy. You're, you're what's the term? An alcoholic. They're, they're a functional alcoholic, you know? It seems as though, as long as your finances in place, you can, you can paper over the cracks. Especially, especially, as, especially as amongst men, and these are the uncomfortable conversations that we need to have. And people find it offensive, don't they, Jay? Yeah, like say, yeah. Why do you yeah. drink every day? I'm allowed to. Drink. I'm not an alcoholic. I, no, no, I didn't say he was alcoholic, man. You know. <laughs> so right. that's, that, that, that's what I'm trying to like educate people. Yeah, on, you know, I'm gonna mean? start using that term as well. Functional alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's an official term. So, yeah. so please Google it. I think yeah. it's an official I'm, term. I want to you know? find out, find out about that. Cool. Yeah. So another thing as well. You know, when it comes to your social media, you're very open. You're like very, very, I like to, I'll say you're very vulnerable in terms of the things you talk about. You talk about your family, you talk about your kids, you talk about being a father, the struggles you faced. Where does that come from? And like, what gives you the confidence to, to be so open? Because, you know, you know what men are like. We, we don't, we don't want to say certain things. We ain't going to talk about certain things. So like, where does that come from? So I want to connect with people. Like, on a, on a, I want to resonate with people at that level. Vulnerability, right? Because I feel as though... Social media, work, everything, man. We're always trying to connect, like, at our highest level. Like, look at the car I got. Look at the, look at the car I got. Look at the Mercedes I got. Look, look at my house, man. I just bought my house, Jay. You know, like that. For me, I'm, I think if you connect at that kind of base level and a little bit more vulnerability, man, it, it, it removes all the pressures, man, and, and, and we can solve problems. But the problem is when we're connecting at that level where it's, like, superficial level, man, it's like, man, look, look at my new tracksuit. Like, and... and there's a time and place for it, but I just think for me, I want to I wanna be a tad more vulnerable. I want people to reach out to me, not just patting me on the back for what I've achieved, but also to, to say, look, man, can you help me solve this problem? I, I was there. I was there because I've done it. You know, I've seen a post and I've seen someone, I'm like, man, my man's got five kids. How did he, how did he become successful? You know, and, 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 and that's what I reach out to. I don't just reach out because I see a guy with a Lamborghini. Like, what's he been through? Like, I need to... <laughs> so for me, when I'm being vulnerable is a way for me to both help people, but also be helped, you know? So, and I'm not afraid to be laughed at. No, I've been criticised, you know, being vulnerable. And I talk about being crying and people like being like, man up and stuff like that. I'm like, all right, okay, whatever. Have you always been like that, though, in terms of, like, the openness? No, 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 man. I lost my dad. I lost my mum, man. I was in a certain place, you know, and I, and I realised that the biggest reason why I was going around in this circle is because I was, like, putting on a front, Jay. I put on a front and I was pretending to be happy. I was pretending to know the answers to my problems and I was pretending to be, like, I enjoyed this routine and I pretended, yeah. you know, like, that kind of stuff. So it, it was, it, it did hit a point where I was like, man, something else has got to work, you know? And I thought, and when I do things now and they, and they, and they feel right within, I continue to do it. Yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah. that sometimes as well, even from a social media perspective, I find that when, when you're more when you're more heartfelt and it's and it's real, people connect with it more anyway. Like, people are yeah. going to reach out to you more as well. Or the people you want anyway, Jay. The yeah. people you want. Yeah, the people, people you want, want. exactly. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, can't take on everybody, man. <laughs> so, cool. So, obviously, from a coaching perspective, especially as you you kind of cut your thing is dad, uh, dads, right? Men, men, men with children, men who maybe they're working, they've got kids. There's a lot of excuses when it comes to not being able to yeah. exercise. So what are some of the practical things you like put in place for your clients, like to make sure that they can actually fit in exercise throughout the day? Because we all know that's probably one of the biggest objections I get on a call sometimes. It's like, <laughs> okay, I, I ain't got the time to do this. I'm like, well, you can, you do. Maybe you just ain't planned it. But like, what, what are some of the things you put in place for some of the people you work with? 
Hi, the fantastic question. So, you know, for me, Jay, like, um, it all starts with me and how I, um, because I qualify a client. So as much as we, as much as we, we want clients, we I qualify. So that's how I get my work to be so high. So being an eternal disciplined man, appreciating the fact that I may not earn as much money now, but qualifying my clients allows me to go on these journeys and get and get the results. So way before you even come with me, Jay, I'm saying to you, like, listen, man, we're gonna we're gonna talk regular, and we're gonna address your excuses. I don't I don't, I don't want to even want to hear from you in the good times. We're just gonna speak about your <laughs> excuses, yeah. So so that once people kind of understand that that's the kind of personable relationship we're going on right i think it kind of sets precedence for when we actually reach that point and we're like hold on wait didn't we say that the morning oh but the morning but didn't we say you was going to say that you know so with the accountability because for the way i've structured and how i do it I, I work with a number of people at a particular time so it allows me to get on the phone and say jay you're lying you know jay, jay you just lied you just lied and all right cool if you're not saying you're lying you've got 20 minutes later uh, funny, uh, what about tomorrow? You know, so w- with me, that personable thing, because the thing is, I think the problem with the industry that we're in, Jay, is people think it's all maths and science and information, right? Listen, if that was the case, everyone would look like Cristiano Ronaldo. People would just pick up this piece of information, read it, and okay, cool, that's what I need to do, and I'll do it. It's not, is it? It's emotions. It's very real, Jay, you know? And, 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 and that's how these, some of these terrible products sell, you know, because they tap into people's emotions. So for me... I say to you, look, look, man, what I, what, whatever I program for you, yeah, it doesn't make a difference if you don't do it. It's how you execute it. So I focus heavily on earning your trust, earning your trust. I need you to believe in me, allowing me to communicate with you and the transparency. So if you're lying to me, all right, cool, just, all right, just tell me the truth. You, all right, cool, you didn't do it. All right, what can we do though? Does that make sense? So we have like levels of it. We have levels of it. So you're saying you're really struggling for motivation today. You're struggling to walk outside your house for 15 minutes. Uh, what's that going to do? Trust me. Just get out. Just get out. Does that make sense? Uh, mm. yeah. So you try to take it step by step with them. Well, that's what coaching is. We have coaching and we have programming. We have coaching and we have programming. This word coaching is like overused. What for me, from my, from, from my definition, man, I'm coaching you, Jay. Look, man, whatever I put, whatever I program for you today, might have to change, man. <laughs> Listen, Jay, man, you're not in a good headspace, man. Next two days, go off the grid, man. Stay off of WhatsApp and go for a walk. <laughs> mm. And then go on, no, continue. Because I want results. You see, I want results. I want to, I want to. So I believe that my results will speak volumes and I will get success that way. The, I think the biggest problem is people want results, but they don't want to put in a kind of, you know, so, so that's why people stay at that level of like getting okay results. Me, I'm prepared to say, listen, I'm going to talk to you. You're going to get results, bro. And then that will speak for itself. And, and, and I'll build my client base for that way. Yeah. And then to add to that, then from a nutrition perspective now, we know another another thing people say is, well, I can't meal prep, I ain't got the time. Or the missus, the missus does all the cooking, or the missus won't be happy if I've got to be eating this while everybody else is eating that. Or we order takeaway two times a week. I can't change that. The missus won't be happy. Like what? How are you coaching people on that perspective? So tough. So tough. Nutrition is the hardest thing, to be yeah. honest, because yeah. I think it's the people things. For one, is is people so uneducated on the area, and for two, it's the easiest one to lie about, right? And I think with men, men prefer to work hard than eat well. You know, so and and it's another it's another thing that we've been taught. You know, that oh, it's alright to work. Just just and then once you work hard, you can eat crap. So <laughs> it's like compromising. So with nutrition, I'm very big on compromising. This whole idea of shifting your diet overnight and becoming this black monk doesn't well, it doesn't exist on the level that I work at, right? Because the people that are coming to me are 35 and been on all the diets in the world. You know, so for me, I'm saying sustainably, we have to compromise. If you're 
<laughs> the other day I had some guy who was like, man, I love um, jollof rice. And I was like, do I have to stop eating it, you know? And I'm like, well, not really. You know, like, if you, you can factor it in, but we just have to be a tad more delicate with what we eat around it, you know? So for me, with nutrition, I'm, I'm very compromising, unless that particular individual has very short-term goals, you know, like, oh, in two weeks, then we have to be a little bit more stricter. But my, my, whole, my whole thing with nutrition, man, is it's a re-education. Look, stop, look, man, you... you it's not about, it's not just one shape that's going to change it. Just relax. This is what we're going to do. We're going to look at our portion sizes. We're going to look at our protein intake. We're going to monitor it. We're going to track foods. You need to understand that for 30 years, you've been eating wrong. Yeah. Makes sense, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And let's say you get a, get a client. What are some of the things that you put in place? Like, do you give them a meal plan? Or is it like, okay, we assess what you're doing already and maybe it's just about maybe cutting back maybe instead of two big spoons of rice you're having one big spoon <laughs> and more chicken like are you re- are you trying to give like yeah in terms of how you actually yeah. put it into action like what, what what are you doing yeah so i'm the worst person to work with yeah if you think that like like there's one way that like i'm just going to message you and you're and you're just going to be left alone right so i'm going to first and initially we're going to you're going to come on board and i'm going to ask you a lot of questions that i'm going to expect you to lie about <laughs> then i'm going to track what you do i'm going to ask you to give video evidence of what you do so like the accountability is through the roof and only when you earn my trust as much as i'm trying to earn your trust here that that we change that so you you understand the re-education to it like people people like to to, to use the word discipline yeah they don't really have discipline jay and what they have is like spurts of motivation right what i try to do is like you see that first phase man I, I, it's all fluffy yeah so what i'm saying to you is okay if we can continuously introduce these new habits that i'm telling you to do potentially we can develop some discipline you won't become disciplined you develop some bit discipline and discipline supersedes motivation right so when, when people come on board jay the nutritional program that i give them might just mean just track just you, you need to you, you know you don't even need a nutrition program yet. You just need to track. Sometimes these people, when they come on board and just track, then they realize how bad they're eating, and naturally they start to make changes. The the, the, the problem on my end is before I used to think I knew it all. So I thought this seven day nutritional program is art. It's it's the best. Yeah, yeah. But listen, man, if this guy ain't gonna execute, and his problem is is he emotional eats every Friday night three thousand calories. What's the point of me thinking I've written the Mona Lisa of, of... So I'm just saying, just track. All right, Friday's our problem. Okay, Friday's our problem. This is how we're going to count Fridays. You're going to reduce your 3,000 calorie binge down to 1,500 calories. You're going to introduce a walk. So now we've got an energy balance of here and we've lost three, three pounds per week. Results start to breed confidence. Confidence breeds momentum and voila, you know? But that, but that only works on a personal level. So I would never suggest, if there's any PTs watching this here, don't try and do this. If your client base is 150 clients, you know, like, if that's how you scale, that that just won't work. Just yeah, won't work. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be done on a personal level. Yeah. Cool, man. So before I let before we wrap this up, before I let you get on with your day, in terms of, I just want you to kind of describe to me then for the men out there, um, who maybe they are struggling to get in shape. They've tried multiple things. Obviously, they should just hit you up. But if they can't hit you up, maybe they ain't ready to make that step yet. What are like the top the top three things you would suggest? some of these men to start doing today to at least try and get on their way to, to success when it comes to health and fitness? Yeah, um, we're tracking calories. Tracking calories is essential. Uh, the, the, the misunderstanding, the lack of education in that area is massive. Download my fitness power and start tracking calories. Introduce walking into your routine. This is for someone that's entirely inactive. Introduce walking as a regular 
activity, daily activity. And if there was a third thing, I'd say it would be resistance. And that's the, I say that because that's often the most neglected. So especially like the 30 plus generation, we always use cardio as the way to get into shape. Yeah. Look, man, you, you can use cardio, but I'm saying to you, the body that most people desire has muscle. To build muscle, you need, you need resistance. So that, those are the things that I think people neglect the most when starting out a journey. Tracking the calories. My fitness pal is a free app. Walking is a powerful tool to weight loss. Walking is a powerful tool. You bet you, you're not going to get injured from it. You can do it forever. There's no real excuses. You don't need equipment. And resistance. Re- resistance is key, man. If you if you have a desire to have it, to have a physique that has muscle, abs, or whatever, you need resistance. Yeah, yeah. And then to add to that, why is it important? For, for fathers to get in shape and, and at least, you know, elevate their health? It is important because we need to lead by example. If an unhealthy parent is, the statistic is, heightens the chance of an unhealthy child, right? We, we, we would never, we'd never advocate our children being stupid. <laughs> yeah, so let's not advocate our children being unhealthy, right? right. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. That's a that's a good uh, that's a good comparison right there. Cool, man. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. Lastly, where can the listeners find you on the socials, man? Facebook. You can join my Super Dad community. Just have a look on there. There's a there's a sim- Superman symbol with an S in the middle. Damon Scanner on Facebook and Super Dad Demo on Instagram. Okay, man. Cool, man. Thank you so much. Guys, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if you like this episode with Dr. Damo, Super Dad, <laughs> helping all the dads across the world. Really appreciate it. The Spectrum of Health podcast episode. This is like 22, 23, something like that. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. If you are someone who has been struggling to get in shape, you want to lose some body fat, you want to feel better about yourself and you want to build some lean muscle mass as well as transforming your confidence, don't hesitate to reach out to me on my social media and just ping me a message. I'll get back to you as soon as you can. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe and tag me, okay? Tag me. I really appreciate all the support. Watch out for next week's episode. See you later.